to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I want you to get up right now. Get up, go to your windows, open them, and stick your head out and yell. You can't fight in here, this is the war room. Open the pod bay door. The devil ever pulled you in was convincing the Personally, Fight Club is. I award you no point. I talk about Fight Club. And may God have mercy on your soul. Hello, everyone. This is Veneg's Best Film Podcast, episode number 22. I am your host, Maddie Neggs. And today, ladies and gentlemen, I am being joined by a very special guest, Jackson Murphy from Lights Camera Jackson. Jackson, how are you today? I'm great, Matt. How are you? Everything is going pretty well over here on my end. I am finally, finally, by God, finally going to be catching up on some needed television, which (laughs) I've been putting off and off and off. Uh, Just to give you an example, uh, tomorrow, I'm going to start watching, get ready now, Mr. Robot. Okay. The Night of, Mm. Daredevil Season 2. And I'm going to try and squeeze in Silicon Valley Season 3. And believe me, my list keeps going on and on and on of shows that I just haven't been able to catch up with recently. It's just been a whirlwind for me lately these past couple of weeks. So, I, And also, to a certain extent, I will admit, Game of Thrones does occupy a huge <laughs> space in my life. So <laughs> while that was on the air, I clearly was not watching anything else at the same time. Oh, and how could I forget? Uh, there's Ray Donovan. I do have to watch some <laughs> Ray Donovan at some point. But I'm planning on watching an episode of each tomorrow to get started on that. With all that said, whew, how you doing? I'm good. You know, I got to tell you, my DVR is filled with shows, too, because I I go to school during the year and I don't have a lot of time to watch appointment television anymore. So I still have 10 episodes of Modern Family and The Middle and The Goldbergs on that DVR that I got to finish before I go off to college. Now, it's so funny because, you know, you bring it up going to school, going to college and stuff like I want to let audiences know that maybe may not know. If I recall, you were one of the youngest film critics uh, around at one point. What was it, like around age age seven or so? Yeah, I started when I was seven years old. That's unbelievable, man. I didn't really start getting, like, legit film knowledge in my brain until I was, like, uh, I want to say 11. So that's, like, so impressive to me. (laughs) Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Absolutely. And, oh... Funny thing, I remember seeing you, the first time I ever actually saw you was Critics' Choice Award, because uh, I watched the ceremony every year, and I don't remember which year it was, but I remember when they uh, had you on camera, and I just was like, well, if that guy's a film critic, then I should be one, damn it. I'm like, I'm, what am I doing over here? Yeah, that was really fun. That was the first year I got to go to Critics' Choice, and that was a lot of fun to have me be part of the show for a couple minutes talking about people writing things on Twitter, their own movie reviews, because everybody's a critic these days. It's true. Yeah, and everybody can write uh, everything on social media. Reviews condensed down to 140 characters, and so I really enjoyed doing that. That was a fun day of filming in front of all of those posters. That was cool. Yeah, it's unbelievable. You know, you see the way that things like Instagram are being utilized and Snapchat and how people are using these different forms of social media to communicate their love of the movies. But still, 
for guys like you, myself, and a lot of others out there, the written form, and also to a certain extent what we're doing here as well and just having a discussion. I mean, when I think of having a discussion about film, I think back to watching Siskel and Ebert and how mm-hmm. I would tune in on television to watch two guys converse about a movie. Yeah. And today I feel like that's what modern podcasting really is mostly about at this point. And, you know, I, I get to hide my gorgeous, handsome face uh, so that people don't get jealous from the world at the same time. So how much <laughs> how much better can it be than that? <laughs> yeah, that's that's great. I wish I was alive for Siskel and Ebert being together. I wish I was alive for that. You can watch them all, a lot of them online, but just being there and watching that for the first time, I'm sure, must have been incredible. Absolutely. It totally was. Um Before we get into our review of Ghostbusters, the 2016 version, is there anything that you have been catching up on in the cinema that wasn't Ghostbusters that you saw this weekend or? Yeah, I saw The Infiltrator with Bryan Cranston. Ah, yeah, me too. And I got to tell you, it's one of my favorite films of the year so far because it has this calmness and ease to it, even though it's a crime thriller, that's really refreshing. It proves that a film in this genre doesn't need to be, doesn't need to have a shoot 'em up action scene every 10 minutes. It can have one jarring moment every 20 minutes or so that really captures your attention and, and catches you by surprise. And then, and Cranston's so good. He really is. Cranston's at another level as far as acting today goes that's for sure brad Furman, who directed this film also did the lincoln lawyer and I'll, I'll admit when i was going into this i didn't really have high expectations i went in and i saw it in the city in advance actually at advanced screening and while i was watching it i just kept saying to myself wow i haven't looked at my watch hmm. this actually isn't boring hmm. there's like real command of these scenes here there's some real tension going on okay Brian Cranston is riveting and commanding the screen as always, but I really, really felt like Furman really knew what he was doing to such an extent that whatever faults I can throw at the movie, and I did have some, I mostly forgave it because I can't remember the last time I saw a movie in recent memory uh, as of late where I actually wasn't bored during certain points of it. The Infiltrator had me hooked from the very beginning. I mean, how could you not when you have Rush come on? You know, and the real t- was it Tom Sawyer? I think the song was they were playing. I can't I can't remember exactly, but it was a classic Rush song, and it was just it, it definitely had a certain confidence to it. I, yeah. I just completely felt that oozing through the screen. And if my if one complaint I could throw at it, it would be that it was it's a complaint and it's also a compliment it's dumbed down like it's not the kind of detail that you would get out of a documentary say right but i felt like presenting the story in that clear simple manner also made it more accessible yeah and i gotta i gotta tell you the scene in the restaurant involving the anniversary cake is gotta be a nominee for scene of the year that's just wild Oh, yeah, and Cranston sells every moment of it, and that's where I felt like he was starting to really hop into another level because ultimately he's playing, what, uh, two different guys in this film for the most part, and that to me is the most fascinating aspect of it is seeing Cranston just have a lot of fun with this role. It's definitely a film that I very much enjoyed. It's not one that I think will land on my top 10 list or maybe even my top 20 come the end of the year, but it's a film that... I didn't have so much terrible things to say about it, and I quite enjoyed it on the whole. So, with that said, we're now going to be discussing 
Ghostbusters! Da, 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 da. Okay, enough of that. This film here is directed by Paul Feig, who uh, is the director of films that you may have heard of, such as Bridesmaids, The Heat, and also Spy, which was a favorite of mine recently. It is a reboot slash remake of the 1984 version. This here is Ghostbusters. It's a class four apparition. That's okay. She seems peaceful. My name is Erin Gilbert, doctor of particle physics. Ah! That stuff went everywhere, by the way, in every crack. Very hard to wash off. We have dedicated our whole lives to studying the paranormal. Now there's sightings all over the city. There are people out there that need our help. Holtzman, you're a brilliant engineer. Erin, no one's better at quantum physics than you. We can provide a real service. I'm joining the club. You guys are really smart about this science stuff, but I know New York. And I can borrow a car from my uncle. You didn't disclose that the vehicle was going to be a hearse. It's a Cadillac! Okay, so Ghostbusters is starring Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon, Leslie Jones, Michael Kenneth Williams, Charles Dance, Chris Hemsworth, and a few awesome cameos. The story is as follows. Paranormal researcher Abby Yates and physician Aaron Gilbert are trying to prove that ghosts exist in modern society. When strange apparitions appear in Manhattan, Gilbert and Yates turn to engineer Jillian Holtzman for help. Also joining the team is Patty Tolan, a lifelong New Yorker who knows the city inside and out. Armed with proton packs and plenty of attitude, the four women prepare for an epic battle as more than a thousand mischievous ghouls descend on Times Square. With all that said, Jackson, what did you think of Ghostbusters? I was pleasantly surprised how funny it was. I really think it's funny. Um, and, and I think the four women together really bring their own unique style of comedic timing to it and their humor, and they really work well together. And I have to say, I give props to Chris Hemsworth because it's such a wacky, interesting role for him that we've never really seen before. We saw it a little bit in the Vacation movie, but it's kind of crazy here, and I think he pulls it off very nicely. I agree with you on that completely, although the surprise and delight aspect for me is actually not so much the comedy it's more so the the fact that Paul Feig was able to pull this movie together and what I mean by that is this the marketing behind this film was atrocious it, it really truly was the trailers did not do a good job of selling the film to audiences if I recall at a certain point YouTube said that the trailer was actually the most viewed hated film on yeah. YouTube at one point so that, that in itself is actually impressive, but I was one of those people where I had my hands up saying, I don't see a reason for this movie. I don't want to see a remake reboot of Ghostbusters, and it's nothing to do with the female cast here. I think all four of the females in this film are incredibly gifted actresses, more than capable of handling a movie on their own even. You don't even have to have all four of them. All of them could be the lead in their film, and they would carry it the whole way through. What I was more so upset about, and this is something that we'll get into a discussion of later, is... To me, Ghostbusters just feels untouchable. It feels sacred. It feels like a film that should not 
ever be touched. It should never be rebooted, remade, whatever the case, whatever you want to call it here. However, it is what it is. And when I saw those trailers, I expected pure and utter crap. <laughs> and what I got was I got, oh, that's right. Paul Feig is directing this, and I should have had more confidence in him because he really did tie the movie together tonally. He tied it together from an action blockbuster standpoint. I mean, the special effects, eh, they're yeah, not they're the okay. greatest. Yeah, they're, they're okay, yeah. Yeah, they're not the greatest things I've ever seen at the movies this year. But the way that he just handles the story, the way it all rolls out, the respect that they do show to the original film, I'm right there with you. I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I think it's it's very positive through the whole thing. It makes you have a good feeling as you're watching all two hours of it. And there's a lot that happens uh, with bonus scenes, and we won't spoil anything, but there's a lot of bonus scenes during the end credits that you definitely want to stay there for. Um, it's really positive throughout. The one thing I would have to say is that I wasn't a fan of one of the cameos from uh, one of the original cast members. I felt like that one, that his character is more perceived as a, as a negative, minor villain type character in the film. I thought that went on a little long, wasn't as successful as some of the other cameos. Yeah, I, I agree. The cameos, for the most part, pretty spot on. I had no real problem with them. And I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that the cameos are by the original cast from the original film. So Bill Murray shows up, Dan Aykroyd shows up. I mean, it's a lot of fun to see them in the movie and see them also wanting to be in it. I, I understand that there definitely was a push to try and get everyone together, including Rick Moranis at one point, mm. but Rick respectfully declined. However, everybody else that they could get together is here in this film, including yes, Sigourney Weaver, which <laughs> was that, that was freaking awesome. So I, I definitely felt a tremendous amount of fan service, even though, these guys took a lot of shit from fans. I, I felt like they were really trying to respect that original film in all the best ways. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and, and they did do the talk show circuit. I remember on Ghostbusters Day, we had the new cast and the old cast come together on Jimmy Kimmel Live with uh, Guillermo the Doorman dressing up as the Marshmallow Man, <laughs> uh, which was funny. And I think over the last several weeks or so, I think people going into this movie may have had fewer negative feelings towards it and just anticipating what it could be like and honestly most of the reviews that are out there now are fairly positive and 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 mine is one of them and yours is one of them um because it is a good film i think if you if you look at it as a standalone movie it works i completely agree with you as a standalone movie it does and for a lot of the reasons that the original film worked as well the fact that it does embrace its own absurdity there is a lot of comedy here mixed in with some action also too surprisingly some real genuine scare moments that made me go oh on like maybe once or twice throughout the movie i definitely had a little bit of a jump there in my seat <laughs> so i i was very very impressed with that aspect of it but let, let's get into a little bit of a criticism here on my end. And you may not share the same belief as I do, but I personally felt that this film, from a comedy standpoint, I didn't think it was as funny as it could have been. And I couldn't help but feel like the reason for that was because... And, and listen, I'm not advocating for raunchiness, but I'm saying that I felt like a rated R 
was possibly needed to just give this film a little bit more of a punch, if you know what I mean. Yeah, Paul Feig's other movies, uh, the three that you mentioned before, including Spy, all rated R, and Spy, I thought, was a surprisingly violent film as well. He really took some risks with the violence. Um, Yeah, I think the box office would have hurt tremendously if it was rated R, and and realizing that going in, I think Paul Feig knew he had to sort of tone down the levels, and Melissa McCarthy had to tone everything down. Um, but yeah, I think the comedy works enough because it, it appeals, you know, at the screening I attended, I'll be very honest, there were a lot of kids there, and kids who got sucked into the, seeing this movie because the last trailer that came out for it from Sony was aimed towards kids and was shown in front of a lot of family movies that I went to. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that really appealed to the kids and the parents and and a wider aspect. I can see how maybe being a little raunchier might have added something. For me, it might have made things a little worse, a little more uncomfortable. Okay, to each his own in that regard. I also want to just quickly point out as well, the same problem I kind of had with the first film in that this film has a very weak villain. In fact, to me, I don't even really feel like there is a villain. It just felt so inconsequential and really the one part of the movie where I felt like they were really hamming it up. uh, I couldn't I couldn't really buy into it. What did you think about that aspect? About about the the lack of I mean yeah there there is a lack of a villain and then the villain sort of changes with with what happens. Um, yeah, I think the focus is more on the women and their relationship and them working together to figure everything out. That's the focal point. That's what people are paying money to see. The villain aspect of it, I think most people would agree seeing this isn't the selling point for them and isn't the the thing that's going to make or break the enjoyment of the film for them. So let's talk about the women for a minute and maybe the guys too. I have a question to throw at you. Who do you think stole the movie? Whew. I mean, I I was talking with a, a critic colleague of mine, uh, two, were the two critics in the area who go to the movies, and we, and we saw this the other night, and he thought it was Kate McKinnon. I honestly thought it was, Chris Hemsworth was the standout. Um, as far as the women, I mean, I liked Leslie Jones, too. I thought she had a lot of great one-liners. I, I liked Kate McKinnon's character. I thought her character development was stronger than the the dialogue and the funny lines that she was saying yeah um yeah it's 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 a toss-up for sure yeah i leslie jones surprised me because quite frankly i really did just view her as stereotype loud like obnoxious new york you know like it just it it really like rubbed me the wrong way in the trailers but when i saw the movie it, it definitely came into focus a lot more she has a lot of heart she does absolutely and i totally felt that kate mckinnon for me is the, is the uh, show stealer here i i really dug the the line delivery the inflection of the voice I, I just thought it was so funny and every time she was on screen i felt the energy completely go up i thought melissa mccarthy was actually acting instead of playing the fat, loud uh, stereotype character she gets typecast as in a lot of her films. When she's on, she's really, really funny, and she is on. And I felt like she was definitely on in this film. Kristen Wiig, though, having to play the the, the straight type, you know, the goody mm-hmm. two-shoes, who's like, oh, no, 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 about everything, I... I, I, to be honest with you, she's like the most unmemorable person in this film for me. And that's, I don't know if that's by design or if that's just her character didn't have enough to make her that interesting. 
Yeah, I think it was you know, her interactions with Melissa McCarthy were probably the core elements as far as having her character be in this movie and what she was going to do. Um, for for me, watching Kate McKinnon, I guess maybe from watching so much Saturday Night Live and seeing her in the Weekend Update sketches and things, I know kind of where she's going with her style a lot, so nothing really surprised me with what mm. she did in the movie. Although I thought she was funny, I thought she was great, nothing really surprised me about her for me. Yeah, I hear you. And, and you know, it's funny you bring up the relationship between uh, Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy, because that ending moment uh, through... Uh, the portal was actually quite touching for me. I, you know, I, I I literally felt the emotion in that scene, and I was uh, taken aback and once again surprised by it. I'm I'm glad that I went into this film with low expectations overall, even even though nothing, and by God, I mean nothing, was going to make me smile when the fallout boy version of the theme song came on. <laughs> I I was literally sitting in my chair and I was like. Up in Here by DMX is more of an anthem than this song. Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't hate the new version. I don't love the new version. I liked hearing that both versions were in the movie. I liked yes. hearing that. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, and I also really like how they came together with the logo in the subway at one point. I thought that was clever and really yeah. well done. There's a lot of moments in this film where you definitely feel the charm. You definitely feel the, care that went into making sure that they didn't really screw this up <laughs> and i'm not saying that this film is perfect and quite frankly it's not even the best movie i i've seen this summer but right going in with such low expectations made me feel like this film was better than it had quite frankly any right to be as far as i was concerned y- with yeah that, with that said though uh, let's toss it off to final thoughts for you, Jackson. And what grade would you give Ghostbusters? Overall, I was I was pleased with it. It's not a perfect movie by any means. It's got some technical issues and some screenplay issues, and it is a little long. But I would give Ghostbusters overall a solid B. Nice. Very cool. I'm with you on the length, actually. I got to agree there. I did start to feel the length by the end of the movie. And it's... Like I said, it's not perfect. I, I I could sit here for a while and I could throw out a couple of different things at this film and really, really nitpick it pretty hardcore. And you know what? Like, what, what am I really achieving with that? Right. What I will say is this. Everybody who gave this film a bad rep, myself included, were wrong. This film <laughs> is not a disaster. It's not a terrible flick by any means necessary. In fact, I'm... I'm not going to call it a great movie. I will just simply say it is a good movie. The humor didn't quite work for me personally, but that doesn't mean it's not going to work for everybody. It it will definitely work for the masses out there, and that's for sure. This is a very funny movie with really, really great cast chemistry and just a really, really good respect for the original material that it's based off of, including cameos that are endorsed by the original cast. So... I don't know what more you could have wanted from this. Quite frankly, I'll ask one more question of you before I give it my final rating. If you were sitting around and you were debating which version to watch and you had the original and you had this version on your shelf, which version of this film would you choose to watch? That's that's a tricky question. I mean, if you want... If you want the old-fashioned kind of nostalgia, older flair, you go with the older one to see Bill Murray. But if you want something new and if you want if you want high-energy, 
clever and girl power, then you go with the new one. They're, bo they're both good. They are. It's, it's tricky to decide one or the other. I'll be the bad guy. I'll go with the original. <laughs> Bill Murray's character, I just found I just find him to be hysterical on multiple levels. So I will always go back to that one. I'll probably watch this one again, though. No, I'm not going to immediately write it off. I, I probably will come back. So with that said, I will give Ghostbusters out of five stars a rating of three. Would it kill you to say something? I did. No. First thing you've said in the last four hours. That's a, that's a fountain of conversation, man. That's a geyser. I mean, whoa, Teddy, stand back, man. So, we talked a lot about this reboot slash remake slash whatever the hell. It's 2016, <laughs> by God. But there's more reboots and remakes to come. So with that said, I want to toss it off to a discussion here. Jackson, in the next couple of years, we are primed to see remakes of some of these films. War Games, Commando, freaking the, the Orphanage, which I thought was new. Um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Wow. You have yeah, a never-ending story. Police Academy, Videodrome. I mean, the list keeps going on and on and on. I know you've heard about it recently. I'm sure you saw the first image that they released of uh, of that um, that evil clown. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That just came out the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I'm hearing also they're going to be doing The Crow, All Quiet on the Western Front, Dirty Dancing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. At what point do we throw our hands up and we say, you cannot touch this film, Hollywood. That film is a classic masterpiece and it still stands on its own. What's the distinction here? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I have so many angles on this. I got I to gotta add Magnificent Seven in your discussion because it's the big one coming out in September. Oh, man, you're right. Yes. yes. And then we've got the trailer. It's Denzel. It's Chris Pratt. And it's only PG-13, which has me a little worried. But, you know, we'll have to see. The interesting angle I want to take on this right off the bat as far as can you touch a classic or not, Beauty and the Beast taking an animated movie and turning in into a live-action movie. And a lot of people, including myself, because Beauty is my favorite movie of all time, are crossing their fingers and praying to God that Disney is not going to screw this up. I mean, I think they're in good hands with Bill Condon, honestly. He's... He's proven time and time again that he could handle material such as this. And, you know, I wanted to say in regards to that, because I touched upon this when The Jungle Book came out earlier this year. When you are a kid, well, actually, no, no I'm kidding. No offense. <laughs> when, when you're a kid and you go to, say, Disney World for the first time, right? And you see these people wearing costumes. But to you as a kid, you're, you're seeing your animated characters that you've seen on television or in coloring books, whatever, they come to life before your very eyes. I think that Disney especially can get away with doing the animated to live action because it does touch very deep within that inner childhood aspect of that feeling of what is it we felt when we went to Disney the first time and we saw in front of our eyes a real life version of that animated figure. Mm. Very true. Yeah, I remember going to Disney World 
when I was five years old, and they had this little thing on the side where it was Belle doing story time, and you got to act out as some of the characters. So I ended up going up and playing Maurice, and that was one of my favorite memories ever of going to Disney World. That was so cool for me. I just hope that... Bill Condon, you know, knows what he's doing, and I think he does. Mr. Holmes was very good. Yeah. And and, and the cast is tremendous, so they, hopefully they don't mess this up. No, nah, I'm with you on that. I really don't think they will. But let, let, let me throw out a couple of other titles to you right now. If I said to you that the following titles were going to be remade, and I'll throw these at you one at a time so you could give me your quick answer. Tell me this. Would you, would you yell bullshit on any one of these? Ready? Uh-huh. All right. The Godfather. BS, be, only because the Godfather is institutional when it comes to the world. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think people would be so upset, even more so than Ghostbusters, if it was the Godfather. Okay, all right. Jaws. You see, I saw The Shallows a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and, I see where you're going with this. You know, it's it's trying to do Jaws all over again, and Blake Lively, and, and, and I thought the second third of that movie, the second half hour was strong, and the rest of it wasn't. The middle section was good, but it didn't connect me at all. So you think that when you kind of see, like, with a modernization of how you could do a shark in today's yeah. uh, visual effects world, it loses some something. Yeah, it does. I, I don't think it'd have much of an impact if they did Jaws again. Okay. Alright, that's fair. Alien. Ooh, Alien. You know, I can sort of see that being redone. I don't know, I can picture uh, maybe the sci-fi world needing another alien or you know i could see ridley scott i don't know i i can picture that easier than i can um the godfather or or some other ones i can picture that stand by me a new group of kids that's what i'm saying yeah a new group of it can it can be done should it be done no stand by me is a great movie it probably shouldn't be touched could hollywood easily do it yes and then as far as horror movies go, I'll throw two out there. Jaws doesn't count. And neither does Alien. Sci-fi and summer blockbuster. But anyway, straight up horror films, because we see horror films getting remade all the time. Mm. The two that I think are undisputed masterpieces and should never be touched, but I want to hear what you think. The Exorcist and The Shining. Yeah, The Exorcist and The Shining. Boy, aren't they trying to do The Exorcist again? Or They some... can bloody well try. Because <laughs> <laughs> to me, The Exorcist is the greatest horror film ever made. I, I really stand firm behind that. I think The Exorcist is just in another level of its own as far as movie making goes. They won't ever do The Shining again while Jack Nicholson is still alive. I think they would wait. Um, but as far as... Yeah, The Exorcist. I don't know. I mean, it. they did Poltergeist recently. It didn't make a lot of money, you know? So they can try all they will. Will it make people happy? Probably not. Probably not. But that's not. the thing. Why do they then feel the need to go ahead and do it? Because I think I'll be very straightforward with you. Maybe you know differently. I feel that it's always about the money yeah it, it literally it's never about oh you know we're gonna take it and modernize it using today's technology like as a storyteller you're not telling an original vision you still have something as a blueprint to put 
you know, to build yours upon. I just don't see how that's fulfilling as a storyteller. And most of the time, who did they get to, to direct these things anyway? It's usually uh, studio directors that maybe have a commitment to make one or two pictures for the studio as opposed to doing an independent uh, film of some of some sort. So I, I feel like this is always financial. And when a film like, you know, The Poltergeist and a couple of these other ones do, you know, I don't want to say that they do lose money, but they don't have the same impact and they don't have the same staying power as the original, then I just don't see what the point was unless if it really and this makes me sad unless if it really is hey let's spend 27 million and make 94 yeah i you know i i think because horror movies tend to open at least 20 million week number one and then they fall off the face of the earth they want to capture that three those three days or really those two nights you are or three nights now thursday night friday night saturday night 18 to 35 year old guy and girl crowd to get their 20 million from the first weekend that is why they make these movies that is why they continue to make them very rarely do you see films in that genre being made for story purposes and to try to make great cinema they're getting them out there to get the scares out of the 18 to 35 year olds and to make their money back you know i recently asked a question um on my website and the question was, what has been the best remake of the last 25 years? A lot of choices. There's even a write-in option here. And I don't have the results yet. I'm going to have the results tomorrow. But the choices are 310 to Yuma, which I personally like. Cape Fear, which I also like. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, Dawn of the Dead. The Departed. King Kong. Ocean's Eleven, The Parent Trap, True Grit, and last but not least, War of the Worlds. Now, when I list that off to you, those are all pretty decent films for the most part. Wouldn't you say so? Yes, you know, three of them uh, Three of them I have seen off of your list. I haven't seen all of the ones you mentioned, but I have seen three that I do like off of that list. Uh, would you like me to tell you which yeah, three they are? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and then I have a write-in of my own. Um, uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, to me, I thought was so good. I've seen it probably three or four times over the last ten years. And I, I enjoyed Willy Wonka a lot with Gene Wilder, but I like this one too. It's inventive and it's fun. You didn't seem to have a great reaction towards it, uh, when you were naming it off. Yeah, Gene Wilder's performance in that film overall is sacred to me personally. So. Okay. All right. And then the second one I have is The Parent Trap. Um, and I really liked it. I remember watching it when I was very young. And it was when Lindsay Lohan was a good person. And <laughs> and um, and it was sweet. And Natasha Richardson was in it. And Dennis Quaid. And I know it's a long movie, but I remember really enjoying it. Yeah, um, definitely. And then the third movie I have is True Grit, which I liked. I remember seeing it that night in, in New York City when it came out. And Haley Steinfeld was so good in it, and Jeff Bridges. I really liked that. And I have to tell you, my write-in uh, would be Hairspray. Oh, good choice. Thank That's you. Right. I, I liked Travolta a lot. The music's great. The costumes, the the makeup, the hair, everything about it. The cast is unbelievable. It's infectious. It's fun. Hairspray. Uh, Hairspray might be my favorite out of all of these. It's between Hairspray and, and Charlie for me out of out of all the ones we've mentioned so far. Well, definitely an interesting uh, choice and selection there for sure. Um, let's ask this question here. Why do you think studios 
do keep going to the well here when it comes to these reboots, remakes, instead of endorsing original material. Because, quite frankly, I I understand that if you're like adapting like a toy line like they did for Transformers, but I'm talking just straight up adapting other films right. that are already in existence here. Um, I know that original properties don't traditionally do as well, but I I get this like sense, and I've been reading so many interviews lately where a guy like Charlie Kaufman can't get work anymore, and that guy to me is a genius. He's a visionary. So you liked you liked Anomalisa then? I did. Okay, you see, I did not. Okay, okay, and that's fine. I mean, you got you got to at least throw your hands up and say you probably liked Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I hope, right? And, and be kind. Rewind from Michelle Gondry too. I was. I was oh on a, yeah, I love that movie. I mean, I get. I support you know, original ideas and independent cinema and all of that. I think you know, original ideas are the best. The problem is. Hollywood doesn't have too many original ideas anymore, and they need to go back to the well, and they need to put out new versions of old movies just to keep the studios afloat. Is it that they don't have original ideas anymore, or is it because they're not willing to risk on original ideas? Because I feel like there is a lot of originality out there. There's scripts that get turned down every single day. Why, why can't they bring in maybe somebody to just do a rewrite of some guy's script that he did in his basement at home? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I, I think you're right that there is risk. There is risk involved um, in taking on an original concept, and some studios may not want it, um, and that they think it's easier to go along. <clears throat> excuse me, to go along with something that's already been established. That they think it's easier. That they think there's already a built-in audience. That they think it'll work. Um, but they should take more risks and they should go with more original concepts because then, you know, people wouldn't be, you know, up in arms about another version of this or that coming out and there wouldn't be such crazy controversy. You know who does take risks and you know who does produce original works of art? Who would that be? Television. Television. Television nowadays is the place where I feel that a lot of filmmakers that are not able to find work today in film, look at Steven Soderbergh. You know, look at David Fincher. Mm. A lot of these guys are running over to television. Steven Zalian, great screenwriter. Uh, not so good of a director from all the King's Men's remake. But, you know, he when he's done this show the night of on HBO and the first episode aired, and it got rave reviews. And so I'm watching a lot of these guys who I'm really well aware of, who do have a lot of credibility to their names, making their mark now in television as the television landscape has become so much more cinematic in the last, what, say, eight to ten years or so? Oh, yeah. I I mean, I would even... You're taking it from the director and the writer point of view. I'm going to take it from the acting point of view. I mean, would you have seen someone like Viola Davis go to television and then ends up winning all these awards for how to get away with murder? We're seeing so many, we're seeing so many movie stars. She said it before. Forty year old plus, you know, a black woman. She she said it in, in lots of interviews. It's hard for her to get work, which is a shame, by the way. She's a very good actress. She is. She truly is. And she's also still currently my pick to win Best Actress this year if Fences comes out in time. And we'll see. We'll see if, if that comes to fruition or not. But I'm, I'm with you on that, man. The, the acting, it, it, it's amazing because an actor's name can get me to watch a television show like that. 
and even if it's a mini series, because you you're getting something that you feel like you should be getting in the movies. But what I love about television now is that they have the ability to tell long form storytelling, and it's so consistent and so much not episodic like. Each week is different. It's a beginning, middle, and end, and the storytelling is just so much stronger. And that's where the original content is. And let me tell you, unless if it's in Spanish, it ain't getting remade to English anytime soon. You're not going to see the remake of Breaking Bad. You're not going <laughs> to see that. But 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 and and yet and yet I mean I wanna I wanna uh, I wanna bring up Jeff Daniels too from the newsroom I think he said before he didn't expect to go to television and and then he wins an Emmy and I thought he was the best part of the newsroom by far his character um, but also when you look at Roots Roots just got remade and now yeah. it's nominated for Emmys so maybe things will get remade forty years from now maybe they'll maybe maybe it'll go the opposite way maybe it'll be. Um... Oh, man, you're right about that, man. You know, it's funny. That didn't even enter my mind. That's actually a very, very good point. It did just get nominated for the for the Emmy Award, yeah. It did. It it definitely did. It's going to lose, unfortunately. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know about you. Just really quick, go off on a little bit of a tangent here. People versus O.J. Simpson, I'm very confident in that one. Are you confident? Yeah, I, I haven't seen too much of it. I watched a little bit of the first episode. I, I, I didn't get crazy hooked on it because of time and all that, but uh, I think it has a very strong chance of, of sweeping a lot of those categories. You and I can talk off the air about uh, possible Emmy predictions here because I definitely have my picks for that, and, and that's for sure. But that's pretty much uh, all the time that we have here today. Uh, why don't we pass it off to you now? Tell us, where can we find you on the internet? All right, so... Latest movie news, movie reviews, and some TV talk as well. Lights-camera-jackson.com. I'm on Twitter at LCJ Reviews. Facebook, Lights Camera Jackson. YouTube.com slash Lights Camera Jackson. Instagram at Lights Cam Jackson. And I am on your wonderful podcast and on so many over the next couple weeks. It's the LCJ Podathon. I'm going on all these different movie-themed podcasts and raising money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, a few of my very close friends um, have had Make-A-Wish be a part of their lives over the last several years and have saved them. Yeah, Make-A-Wish has saved them and their families and made their lives a lot happier and better. Um, so I, Make-A-Wish, very close to my heart. Please, you can donate to them. The link is on my Twitter page, twitter.com slash lcjreviews. You're going to see the pinned tweet. You're going to click on that link. It's going to take you to a CrowdRise page where it says donate, big orange button, and that's where you can donate to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. I got to say, what you're doing is very, very admirable, and it's really, really, really heartwarming to see something like that. And I admire um, your work, and I, like I was saying earlier, man, when I first saw you, I was just like, man, if this kid can do it, anybody can. What, what, <laughs> why haven't I, you know, and it just, it just goes to show you that if you have a passion in this world and if you truly believe in what it is that you're doing, whether it is supporting a cause or if it's creating art or if it's like, you know, in my case, just commenting and discussing great art, then follow through with your passion, people. Next week, we will be discussing Star Trek Beyond here on the Negs Best Film Podcast. I am your host, Maddie Negs, and I will see you next time.
Hunter. Don't you know that you're a grown-up? I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) I know, right.